0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. The Bible's out today and turn to uh, John chapter 21. John 21, as we continue in our series, Behold Your King. You remember back in um, John 19, when Pilate first said this, it was in a form of mockery. Um, He didn't understand the significance of what he was saying when he he told the uh, Jewish leaders, "Behold, your King." Uh, but we better understand it now, and one day we'll understand it even more. But we saw it on Good Friday as we beheld our King on the cross, and then we came to uh, Easter Sunday. Behold, your King in the resurrection, that He has defeated gra- the grave. And then last week we saw the risen Jesus as He um, shows Himself to Thomas and. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, behold your king. And this week we're going to take a look at uh, Jesus on the shore as Peter encounters him as his king. And Peter is restored after his failure, after his denial. Behold your king. So if you've got your Bibles open, we want to stand. Let's honor God and uh, stand as we read his word. And in John 21, starting at verse 15, it says this. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Jesus saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word and we thank you for it. Father, we thank you for the amazing encounter that uh, Peter has with Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter never deserved a relationship with you at all. He certainly never deserved to be restored to you. But, Lord, you've done that work, and you did it for him, and you do it for us. And so as we look at your word today, as we see Peter encountering the Lord Jesus Christ on the shore, We see his restoration. We see his growth. We see the mission you call him to. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear your word, minds, God, that we might be able to clearly understand what you're saying, and then, God, would you give us hearts to live out for you, hearts to live for your fame and for your glory. Do your work in your way in this place in a way that the only way we can explain it is to say, look what the Lord has done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, the reality of the uh, restoration of Jesus, uh, of Peter, is that uh, for everyone in the room, there isn't a single person in this room that in some way hasn't done what Peter did. You may not do it like he did. He, he was there on the trials, and he watched what happened, and he denied the Lord, but each of us have in some way denied the Lord. Maybe even this week you denied the Lord when you had an opportunity to speak up and you didn't. you had an opportunity to to be a testimony to someone and you decided to be quiet. Or or maybe uh, you're the person in the workplace who's a believer in Jesus Christ, but nobody knows it. And in your own way, you have been denying the Lord. And uh, the neat thing is that uh, Peter is restored and restoration is available for all of us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we want to dive into that and see that this morning. But I want to take you uh, not on a tangent, but just for you to understand a little bit of what the preacher goes through in preparing a message like this. And uh, I've called this first thing we're going to take a look at, The Preacher's Dilemma. The Preacher's Dilemma. Every, uh, every message that we have, I have a responsibility to open it and, and explain what the text is saying. That's the first thing we need to do. It's like, what is the text saying? And then we need to take a look at, well, what's the text saying to those who received it? What was it saying to them? And then the next reality is, what does it mean for me today? Uh, I need to do that every week. And um, you know what? In your own personal devotions, you need to do the same thing. Just look at what's the plain reading of the text. What does it say? What did it mean to those who read it? And then what is the Lord seeking to say to me or to us today? And and this text has a few interesting things in it. And uh, I want to look at them for a minute, then we'll dive right into Peter's story. But um, the first one is the way and the exchange that goes on the do you love me three times, three times. Now, you need to remember that Jesus isn't speaking in Greek. And the words that we get back out of this Jesus is speaking in Aramaic and Peter is responding the same. But in this, and you've heard this before, you have this exchange that happens between Jesus and Peter. And uh, Jesus asks him three times, uh, Do you love me? Do you love me? And the first time he says to him, and, and, and it's translated into the Greek, he says, Do you agape me? And the people say, well, that's the highest form of love. Uh, That's the form of love that gives without expecting in return. And so that's what Jesus asked Peter. And Peter says, "Um, I phileo you. I love you like a good friend. And so Jesus asks him again, do you agape me? And Peter responds, I phileo you. And the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And Peter says, I phileo you. And, and so sometimes they, we want to take a look at that. And was Jesus trying to restore Peter? And he asks him the big question, do you agape me? And, and Peter says, I phileo you. So in our vernacular today, it would be kind of like this. The, a guy's been dating a girl for six months, and he's trying to get the nerve up to say I love you. And, uh, and so after six months of dating, his hands are all sweaty and he's all nervous. And he says... Gertrude, I picked that name because I'm pretty sure nobody in the room is called Gertrude, right? I didn't want to offend anybody. Okay, Gertrude, (laughs) I love you. And she looks back and says, Herbert, because I'm pretty sure nobody in the room is named Herbert either. I just want to be your best friend. And it's like, what, right? The guy's like, I put it all out there for her and she came back with this thing that's not what I put out there. And I don't really believe that's what's going on in the text, but it preaches well, if you want to preach it like that. But Jesus is, is on a path, this passage is about restoration. And Jesus does say to him, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's answer isn't a lesser thing necessarily. It's just a different word that he uses. It's not the Gertrude and Herbert thing. And, uh, but three times he asks him, Do you love me? Do you love me? And the last time Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So that's one of the preacher's dilemmas. The, the next one is Jesus, the first time says, uh, After he says, Do you love me? He says, Feed my lambs. And the second time he says, tend my sheep. And the third time he says, feed my sheep. And again, you have an Aramaic coming to Greek, through English, and I don't really think Jesus is making a big deal of what that is. He's just in the process of bringing Peter back to the place of relationship that they once had. There's a restoration that's going on there. And the other play on words that can happen is around the word no. Um, and uh, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know I love you. And, After the third time. um, And so one of the words that's used is a head knowledge. You know I love you. The other word is a heart knowledge. You know I love you. And both of them are taken care of in the text, but those are kind of the dilemmas that the preacher has. And how much of a big deal do you make out of those things? Well, some people like to make a huge deal out of them. I want to go back to really looking what's really going on here and what is Jesus accomplishing in Peter's life. And so that's what we want to do. But that's just a little insight into what the pastor goes through every Sunday when he preaches God's word. What's the text saying? What did it mean to those who receive it? And what does it mean to me today? The first thing we need to see today, though, is Peter's denial. We need to see Peter's denial. Peter was very bold and brash not many days before this when he basically said, regardless of what anyone else does, I will never deny you. I'll never deny you. And then he goes out there in the garden, and he lops off the high priest servant's ear, and he starts out on, I'm not going to deny Jesus' path. And then just a very few short hours later, he is denying the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this was told by the Lord over in Luke chapter 22. Keep your finger in John 21 and flip over to Luke chapter 22. In verse 31 it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you even know me. And then down in verse 54, we see this happen. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and and sat down together, Peter sat down among them, And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and, and said, you are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Peter, with all of his brash comments and all of his his promises and all of the bravado he had has now denied the Lord three times. It says that the Lord looked at Peter. And I wonder what was going through Peter's mind as that Lord, the Lord looked at him. I don't think the Lord's look at him was cruel. I don't think the Lord's look at him was judgmental. I, I think the Lord looked at him with passionate eyes. And Peter realized what he did. It says he went out and he wept. He wept bitterly. I wonder what was going through his mind. What was he considering? Maybe, maybe he was remembering what the Lord had said in Matthew chapter 10, 29 to 33. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And I don't believe ultimately that's what Peter did. Peter's denial was not an ultimate denial, and that's what that's talking about. But, but did he remember what the Lord said? And Did that go through his mind? How could I get to the place where this one who was, was the one, I was the follower, who was my teacher, who I said I will never deny, he denied him three times. But what about our denials? What about the times you've denied Christ? What about the time that you were in a tough place and instead of making your statement for Christ, you, by your silence, you denied Christ? Or by the actions that you do every day, you deny that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Would it be true that in your workplace there isn't anyone who knows that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? That's your denial of him. Do your neighbors know that you're different? Do your neighbors, do they see you going out today and they go, oh, where are you going? Well, we're just going out. We're just going out. How about we're going to church? Well, what would you do that for? Because we want to worship Jesus. See, Peter's denial was huge in the sense that it was there, it was in the courtyard, but Jesus was right there. And yet, we can be just as guilty as he is by not speaking when we could, not acting when we should. And maybe that's your story. Your life, and by your life, you are a denier, at some level, of Jesus Christ. When well, we see, when we read it, that he went out and he wept bitterly. The reality is until you are broken by your sin, you will never truly be restored in relationship. And that takes us to the next point we see in Peter's repentance. And I think there are some signs of his repentance um, in the text. And the first one is in that verse, Luke 22:62. 62. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter realized what he had done. He realized how far he had fallen, how short he had come, and he goes out and he just weeps and weeps and weeps because of his disappointment in what he had done to his Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you, repentance is a turning and it's a moving in a new direction, and Peter comes to that. But often I think we don't quite get to repentance. Repentance. Often I think we find ourselves in levels like regret. Regret is not repentance. Repet, re- regret is more like, I got caught. I regret what I did because I got caught. Was Peter filled with regret? I mean, for sure he was filled with regret. But it was way more than regret for him. And it doesn't stop at regret, remorse, but remorse is not repentance. Remorse says, I feel bad about what I've done. That's where Judas got to. Judas understood that he had sold out the Savior. And he was filled with regret. And he was filled with remorse. But he never repented. And Peter, the Lord looks at him. He's crying out, and he's wailing, and he's in anguish because of what he has done. And Peter begins in his repentance. He begins in his repentance. We see it that he went out and he wept bitterly. We see it that when uh, Mary Magdalene, after she goes to uh, the tomb, we saw this on Easter, and, and Jesus isn't there, and she goes back and she tells him, and Peter and John are there, and they got a foot race to the, to the tomb, and... and uh, And John gets there first because he could run faster and then Peter shows up. Peter wants to be where Jesus is. He he was trying to find out what happened to his Savior. He just denied him three times and Peter's not interested in standing back and wondering if he's ever going to be in a relationship with the Lord again. Peter instinctively knew that Jesus loved him and Peter wants to get as close to wherever Jesus is as he can because he's repentant He's had a change of his mind. He's had a change of his heart. He's moving in a new direction. Peter jumps out of the boat in John chapter 21 and runs to Jesus. Look at verse 21, chapter 21 and verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. It wasn't like putting your foot over the edge and seeing if the water was cold. It's Jesus. He's a hundred yards away, and John goes, it's Jesus. He doesn't even take time to put on his PFD. He just... He's like mostly naked. He throws on his coat and he throws himself into the ocean because he wants to be where Jesus is. That's the picture of a repentant person. And when you have sin in your heart and you're not repentant, you don't want to be anywhere near Jesus. You want to be backed away. You don't want to be up in front. And Peter's going after Jesus. Why? Because his heart has changed. If you find yourself in your walk, just kind of in the shadows all the time, not really wanting to be where Jesus is, it's because your heart is not truly repentant. He wept bitterly. He runs to the tomb. He jumps out of the boat like a madman and gets to shore because he instinctively knew that Jesus loved him. Isn't it interesting about Peter? Um, Twice in his life, Peter's the first one out of the boat to see Jesus. After the feeding of the uh, 5,000, Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and, and it's Peter who goes, Jesus, if it's you, let me come to you. And here again, in his failure, they see Jesus, and he's the first one out of the boat because he wants to be where Jesus is. Peter had a changed heart. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10, it says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For, God, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, Judas had worldly grief that produced Death. But that's not what Peter had. Peter had a godly grief that led to repentance, a a godly grief that led to a change of his mind, a godly grief of, I'm going in a new way. That's a picture of Peter's repentance, and and then we see his restoration. Peter's restoration, it's coming in the verses that we looked at today. But before that, we need to always remember Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're the person and as I'm describing the person whose lifestyle is more about denying than it is about living for the Lord and you're feeling called out today, there's therefore now no condemnation, not final condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. At the end of this message, we're going to learn that we can be right with God and we can get on with our lives, but we're going to be people who live out our faith. It's to make a difference in our walk. It starts with our salvation. And so the restoration Peter is having here is not a salvation sense. It's a, about a restoration sense. So the question for us today, the question for you today, is are you in Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? That's the picture of who, who Peter is in this story. Now, Peter has put his trust in Christ. He's made some bold statements about the Lord. He is a major failure here. But he's in Christ. And the question is, are you in Christ? Have you come to the place of understanding what Good Friday the death of Christ was for? To satisfy the wrath of God for our sin. And it was satisfied in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then we saw on Easter Sunday the resurrection. The proof that Jesus was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. He he conquered death. He paid the price. So you and I could have eternal life. And then the Bible says, believe, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will sa- you'll be saved. Don't, don't work for it. Don't try harder. Don't just believe. If you've never trusted Christ for your salvation, you can do that today, right where you are. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. And you will be, you will be saved. But Peter's reconciliation comes out of that, and in verses 15 to 17, he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Said in him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In the first question that Jesus asks him, he asks him a question that should stir in all of us. He says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these You've got to imagine what's going on in his mind. It's kind of an open question as I see it. He says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? What is a great question. Do you love me more than these? Well, these What? Well, they've been out fishing again. They needed to eat and they go back out fishing and they fish all night and they don't catch anything. And, and now Jesus provides a miraculous catch of fish for them. And, and so Peter's now on the shore. They've had breakfast and, and Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these things? These things that you have. Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than this tackle? Do you love me more than, we would say it, do you love me more than your stuff? Do you love me more than your stuff? All that I've given you, all that you have, do you, do you love me more than your stuff? Is there anything in your life, if it was taken away from you, it would rock your faith because you love it more than you love your Savior? Do you love me more than these things? That's one way he might have understood it, or or maybe he understood it. Do you love me more than you love these guys? you love me more than these? They're all sitting there around and, and Peter said, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you, do you love me more than, than these? Do you love me more than you love these guys? Your friends? The ones we've been together with for three? Do you love me more than you love these guys? That's a great question for us. Do you love Jesus more than you love your neighbor? Do you love Jesus more than you love your coworkers? Do you love Jesus more than you love your kids? Do you love Jesus more than you love your spouse? Do you love me more than you love these guys? Or maybe when Jesus said it, do you love me more than these, he saying, do you love me more than these guys love me? And I think any of them are legitimate, and probably all of them are true, but I, I think that's the one that Jesus is really getting at with him. Do you love me more than these guys love me? You say, well, why would you say that, Pastor Paul? Well, because in Matthew 26, Peter answered them, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Do you love me more than these guys love me? You said, Peter, you said everybody else. Everybody else is going to falter. Everybody else is going to fall. Everybody else will fall off the wagon. I'll never fall off the wagon. And yet, Peter's the guy who openly denies the Lord. They all did in their own way, they all ran away and hid. But do you love me more than these guys love me? You see, what Jesus really wanted from Peter was his heart. Do you love me? He wants his heart. Jesus restores us by causing us to fare squarely our point of failure, but what he wants is my heart. I read this quote this week, it was helpful for me. It goes like this. Jesus doesn't ask Peter, are you sorry? We tend to do that. He doesn't ask him, are you sorry? Jesus doesn't say, Peter, will you promise to never do this again? He doesn't do that either. Jesus Christ asked each one of us, like he asked Peter, not for our obedience primarily, not for our repentance primarily, not for our vows and our promises primarily, and not for our conduct primarily, but for our heart, but for our heart. And when our heart is given, the rest of it will fall into place. Let me say that again, because not that those things are not important, but Jesus does not ask for our obedience primarily or for our repentance primarily or for our vows or our, our commitments primarily, nor does he ask for our conduct primarily, but he asks for our heart. Peter, do you love me? Uh, Someone once said, and I can't confirm the source, so I'm not going to give it to anybody. It's not mine, but um, love God with all your heart and then go and do whatever you please. Love God with all your heart and then go and do whatever you please. You know, if you get the first half of that statement right, you get it all right. But if you get the first half of that statement wrong, you get it all wrong. So when I said that, if you're like, Do whatever you please. Do whatever you please. What do you mean? You can't do whatever. Yeah, when you love God with all your heart, you do whatever you please. Because whatever you please will always glorify God. So love God with all of your heart. And when you put him on the throne and when you put him first, you can go and do whatever you please because what you will do will always please God. He will always be first. He will always be on the throne. Our problem is we don't put God on the throne and then we go to do what pleases us and not what pleases him. Three times. Three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Is that a relation, in relation to the threefold denial? Possibly. When we get to heaven, I can't wait to ask. I just know that he says three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then the neat thing is Jesus restores Peter. We'll see it in a second. But I want you to see what he restores Peter to. He restores Peter not only in relationship, but he restores him in his mission. He restores him not only in his relationship, but he restores him in his mission. There are people in this church who think, well, I've done something wrong. I'm sitting on the bench for the rest of my life. God can never use me. Well, you just don't believe what the Bible says. Because Peter is restored in his relationship with Christ, but he's also restored in his mission to serve Christ. Where do you see that, Pastor Paul? Well, just look at the next verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and, and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you out where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus gives a picture of what's going to happen to Peter. Um, He said, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, and you used to go wherever you wanted, but When you're older, you're not going to dress yourself anymore. And you're going to put out your arms and someone else is going to dress you. And they're going to take you where you don't want to go. It's funny because when I first read that, you kind of think about a person in a senior's home. Right? And you can't dress yourself anymore. Somebody's going to dress you. And put out your arms and put on clothes. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. So they dress you and you got to go down for breakfast. And you got your walker and you're making your way down. And that's kind of the picture we have. That's not what that's saying at all. They took Jesus after he was tried, and they dressed him, and they spread his arms, and they took him where he didn't want to go. Peter totally got it. Peter totally got it. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Peter, you follow me. Restored in his relationship with Jesus and restored in his calling and restored in his service in you follow me. What an amazing reality that in our denial with repentance comes restoration, not only in our relationship with Christ, but to our calling, to our mission in Christ as well. But hey, Peter's not that different from us. And the next thing we see in the very next verse is that Peter gets distracted He gets distracted, look at verses 20 and 21. It's like one breath comes out of his mouth and then here he goes. But Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them and the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about this man? Now, Peter's immediately distracted, and what I want us to see is restoration does not equal perfection. Restoration does not equal perfection. Peter is on a journey of sanctification. We talk about it all the time around here. Sanctification is about the process of moving from coming in faith to Christ to when we get to heaven. I'm not what I used to be. Thank the Lord but I'm not yet what I will be. I'm not even what I should be. I'm on the journey, and Peter shows us his humanness and his struggle and the same struggle we have. He's not perfect, but he has been restored. Paul demonstrated the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 4 16 and in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 he says, Be followers of me, and then the other verse it says, Be followers of me as I am of Christ. And you read that and you're gonna go like that guy's like a superhero. Right? He's like he's on the he's on the path, and he's just got it all figured out. No, he didn't. In Romans chapter seven, fifteen to twenty, Paul says this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do and I If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul was on a journey as well. His line of sanctification wasn't a smooth line. He, he struggled and he wrestled, just like Peter does. And Peter gets distracted by John, so he's just been restored and he looks over and he sees John, the one who had at the Last Supper had leaned back and said, who's going to deny you, Lord? And, and Peter's like, what a, what? I'm gonna suffer? I'm gonna be, you're gonna be glorified through my death and suffering? Well, what about, what about him? What about him? Now again, I don't know the motive of the question. It might have been a, Lord, I'm gonna go through that. Is is John gonna have to go through that too? Or maybe it's not like that at all. Maybe it's like, hey, 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 if I'm gonna go through that, he's gonna have to go through that, right, Lord? I'm not gonna be out here by myself in this. Peter gets distracted. He starts comparing, he starts looking around and we just say to that to us, stop comparing all the time. Stop it. Comparing is unfair because it doesn't know all the facts. And Jesus says, well, you're gonna see what Jesus says in a second. Comparing leads to dissatisfaction. Well, how come he gets all that and I don't get all that? And we forget the bigger picture. It doesn't understand the big picture. Comparing says life's not fair. Well, life's not fair. We used to say that to our kids all the time. Life's not fair and then you die. It's, it's not fair. It doesn't seem like that. Comparing says, I want it my way. Comparing says, I don't understand the bigger picture. Comparing says, I don't really trust you. Comparing often results in resentment. And comparing sucks the joy right out of your life. And right after he's restored... He looks over and he sees Johnny. Well, what about him? Well, what about him? I tell you uh, from time to time, pray for me on Sunday afternoons on Monday. So Satan loves to work in the pastor's heart on Sunday after you have all of this and God doing all of this. And you get home and it's like, what are you doing? What, you, what did you think? What, did you think what you said made sense? That, did, did you hear what came out of your mouth? And, and, the, and, and then you start to compare. Well, you know, that guy down the road, he's got a bigger church and... How come he has more staff? And How could I possibly do that in light of what God has done in our church? But I do. What about, what about him? What about him? And you do it too. You do it in your ways. You compare to other people. You compare to their giftedness. You compare to what God's doing in their life. And Jesus gives Peter one focus. It's our last point, verse 22. Jesus says to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Regardless of what anyone else is doing, Peter, you follow me. Regardless of what everyone else is doing, Peter, get your eyes on me. You follow me. Me, You follow me in your submission, whatever it takes, Peter. You follow me in your imitating Christ as best you can. You follow me. You follow me in your obedience. The things that I lay before you, you follow me in your obedience. You follow me in your character. And those things for Peter are true for us. You follow me. When it's hard, Jason when you want to quit, when the elders are pushing too hard, and you look around and you go, man, that guy in the other church, he's got it so much easier. Jason, you follow me. That's what Jesus said. You follow me. So when your husband is obnoxious (laughs) and you have to keep on being faithful, Jesus says to you, you follow me. When it seems like the world is stacked against you and your kids go sideways and you're not sure you want to keep on going, it's like, you follow me. You. You follow me. That's the call to Peter for the vision. That's the one focus he has regardless of what anyone else is doing, regardless of what everyone else is doing. You follow me well so what so what after your denial and repentance and restoration and your distractions we come back to one focus you follow me Jesus doesn't ask us or Peter are you sorry will you promise to never do that again Jesus doesn't primarily ask for our obedience. He doesn't primarily ask for our repentance. He doesn't primarily ask for our our commitments and our vows. He doesn't primarily ask for our conduct. He asks for our heart. And the question today is, do you love me? That's what Jesus says. Because if you get that right, you'll get it all right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then you can go and do whatever you want because you'll only want what he wants for you. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Then follow me. And Peter, regardless of what anyone else does, and church, regardless of what everyone else does, Jesus says, you follow me me let's pray lord this is your word we thank you for it and the challenge of it we pray god you would stir up in us challenge us god in our walk that we would bring glory to you that's what would happen through peter's suffering that's what would happen through his death and lord what you've called us to as followers of jesus christ in love with you that we would truly follow you you're looking for our heart today Break us of ourselves, of our selfishness, of our own wants, and give us a heart for Jesus Christ alone. God, we pray these things with thanksgiving for all you've done in Jesus' name, amen.